Hello and welcome to the Capsticks podcast series in relation to the first draft of the Procurement Bill. The aim of this series is to highlight key points and changes within the Procurement Bill that contracting authorities and bidders will need to be aware of. The legislation is still in draft form and so it may change before it comes into force. This podcast was recorded in July 2022 and we will run another podcast series for the final bill once this is published by the government. I'm Katrina Day, a legal director at Capsticks, and I'm joined today by Mary Mundy, a partner at Capsticks. Here we will be discussing the who and the what under the procurement bill, looking at the definitions of contracting authorities and public contracts. So Mary, starting with the who, are there any significant changes in terms of who will be required to comply with the bill and the definition of a contracting authority? Hi Katz and welcome to everyone who is listening. Well in terms of who the bill covers, there have been a number of changes to the definition of a contracting authority. The key points that I would highlight here are that the new definition removes the reference to a body being governed by public law and replaces this with a reference to an authority which has functions of a public nature. This then looks at whether the authority is either funded mainly from public funds or is subject to oversight by a contracting authority. The existing references to the authority not having an industrial or commercial character have also been removed, which is potentially problematic as this has been the subject of a lot of case law interpretation. I agree. These changes might seem quite subtle, but I think they could give rise to some very difficult questions of interpretation in terms of who is now considered to be a contracting authority. For example, registered providers of social housing have been held to be subject to the Public Contracts Regulations, or the PCR, under the current definitions. But the new definition does give rise to questions for me about whether housing is a function of public nature or not, and whether registered providers can really be said to be subject to oversight by the regulator of social housing. The deletion of the reference to a commercial character is also likely to raise questions about subsidiaries, which are intended to be commercial and not contracting authorities. For these types of bodies, is there a risk that they could be seen to be carrying out functions of a public nature where they provide services which support a contracting authority, such as a local authority? I agree. The difficulty I think we face here is that by changing the definitions from the current ones, we are left with uncertainty around the interpretation and without the benefit of the case law that has developed in this area. I think we might see some changes in this definition as the bill develops or in the guidance notes. I do hope so, because in its current form, there are a lot of unanswered questions. I do note, however, that the Cabinet Office has indicated that the intention is for all of the same bodies to be subject to the new legislation. So although the drafting does lead to some questions... The bottom line seems to be that anyone who is a contracting authority now is intended to still be one under the new legislation. So as far as registered providers are concerned, the position still seems to be that they are intended to be subject to the new procurement legislation. 
For subsidiaries and trading companies, I think there is a real need for clearer guidance. So let's move on to the what. The PCR applies to public contracts. Has this definition changed under the bill too, Mary? Well, again, there are some subtle changes to the definition. But in broad terms, this will still apply to contracts for goods, services and works which are over the relevant financial threshold. Supplies are called goods under the bill, which is more familiar language in the UK. There are some aspects of the definition that have changed. For example, it talks about supplying to the contracting authority and it does not refer to the contract being in writing or being between multiple parties. I don't think this is intended to bring certain contracts within or outside of the definition, but there are some changes that are a little hard to follow in terms of the bill's intentions. I noticed that frameworks are also included in the definition of public contracts now. This has the potential to cause some confusion when you read the bill, doesn't it? Yes, you do have to be careful now to ensure when you read a reference to a public contract, this also refers to a framework. So that can impact on areas such as when notices need to be served. If this talks about a notice being required for a public contract, this would apply to the framework and to any above threshold contracts awarded under the framework as they are both public contracts. This may well be intentional to increase transparency, but it can make it harder to clearly identify what is needed in each case. Thanks, Mary. That's definitely one to watch and practitioners will need to keep an eye on this in terms of the procedural changes, I think. Looking at the thresholds that apply, this takes the same approach as under the PCR, so there's no real change here. The thresholds are set out in the bill itself now and the figures are the same ones we have currently. And as with the current thresholds, these are inclusive of VAT. There are also still different thresholds for central and sub-central authorities and secondary legislation will be issued to confirm which authorities fall into which of these categories. We haven't seen any indication that there'll be a change to the current position here. The detail about valuing contracts, which we have in the PCR, is no longer included though and this now seems to boil down to the contracting authority needing to look at what it will spend under the contract and if for any reason it cannot calculate this, then it has to presume the contract is over threshold. I note that the detail in the PCR about aggregation of contracts and the anti-avoidance principles that prevent you from dividing contracts up also do not seem to have been included in the bill in the same way. Is that right? Yes, that's right. What we have now is a requirement that the contracting authority asks itself whether the goods, services or works could reasonably be supplied under a single contract. If they can reasonably be supplied under one contract then the contracting authority must estimate the value of all contracts unless they have good reasons not to. That's another subtle change of language. It will be interesting to see what a good reason is. Under the PCR, a contracting authority has to have objective reasons for subdividing contracts, which I would interpret more narrowly. Yes, I would too. And again, this leaves some room for uncertainty as the established principles under the PCR may not apply to the new legislation as the language used is different. 
leaving this more open to interpretation, which may of course have pros and cons. It could certainly open the door to more challenges. One further point I wanted to talk about today is specifically about works contracts. So tucked into Schedule 1 with the threshold amounts, I spotted there were some new definitions of a works contract. Yes, that's right. So there are a couple of points to note here. Firstly, the meaning of works is going to be set out in secondary legislation. It's not clear what the motivation is here, but a lot of the definitions such as light touch services and works have been taken out of the main legislation and will now be included in secondary legislation. It's likely this list of works will be similar to the one we have in the PCR, covering construction activities, but we need to see this. Secondly, the definition of work is now different. It still covers the carrying out of works, but the second part of the definition talks about the more complex situation where you might have a number of contracts. What do you think about this, Kat? So, firstly, I think the question of what is a works contract has not always been clear, so I welcome an attempt to clarify this. However, I'm not convinced the Bill fully achieves this yet, As drafted, I think this could encompass more contracts than currently, as it doesn't talk about the contracting authority having a decisive influence over a specification. It just talks about the specification being set out in the main contract or determined by it. I had a look at the explanatory notes and they don't really help us interpreting this. The example given is a sale of land that includes a requirement to build a library, but it doesn't mention the specification at all, never mind whether the contracting authority has to have a decisive influence over it. This could well be the intention, and arguably, wherever a contracting authority is requiring something to be built, this should potentially be caught by the procurement rules. But going back to your earlier point, Mary, about changes in definitions and case law, This again means that the case law surrounding the current definition of a works contract might no longer help us in determining what is and is not covered here, opening the door to lots of questions of interpretation again. So again, I'm hoping for guidance or clarity in later drafts. So finally, just to finish up on what is a public contract, there are still some contracts that are exempt and these are listed in Schedule 2 of the Bill. It's helpful to have these listed all in one place now, and a lot of this will be familiar ground, for example with the exemption for land transactions. The schedule also covers contracts between contracting authorities. This is the exemption currently in Regulation 12 of the PCR, which covers intragroup or controlled entity contracts, often known as the TECL exemption, and also the exemption for cooperation or shared services, where contracting authorities work together, sometimes referred to as Hamburg. These are now going to be referred to as vertical arrangements and horizontal arrangements, respectively. Is there any significant change other than the names, Kat? The exemptions remain very similar to the current approach, but there are some changes to language that could create some problems for existing arrangements. In particular, under the vertical arrangement exemption, so that's the current intragroup or TECL exemption, there's no provision allowing two contracting authorities to jointly control, as there is currently under the PCR. 
This could be a real problem for any jointly owned trading companies, which is often the case for local authorities, for example. And I'm hoping this is an oversight which will be picked up in the drafting process. There are also changes to the language in relation to the activities which are carried out by the controlled entity. This now says that those have to be provided for or on behalf of the controlling entity. This is potentially much more limiting than what we have at the moment and could cause real problems for existing arrangements. For example, in a registered provider group, a subsidiary registered provider might not be seen to be providing its services on behalf of a non-asset holding parent. And this could impact on their ability to enter into internal SLAs, for example, for sharing resources. So definitely one to keep an eye on. Thank you, Kat. I think there may be some further work needed here to ensure the new language used doesn't change the approach so that current arrangements which would be exempt from procurement under the PCR no longer benefit from this exemption. This is one to watch as the bill progresses. So the key message in terms of who and what is that the intention appears to be that things will stay the same under the new legislation, but the bill does change the language used and this could have unexpected consequences. Fine-tuning of the drafting or additional guidance would be welcomed in these areas. So that was our summary of the Procurement Bill in relation to contracting authorities and public contracts. And a recap document summarising this podcast can be found on our website. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Mary. Goodbye.